you're honest with yourself this morning, you know Jesus has always been there. Has he not? Like right around the corner, right there waiting patiently, right where you left him. Because he doesn't leave us. He's right there this morning. For those who need healing, for those who need some assurance that God is still there with you, I pray in the name of Jesus and all his power today that you will receive what he wants to give you. Standing with his arms wide open, his hands held out to you today. There was always Jesus. If you think back over the path that you've um, walked throughout your life, you will realize that the scripture is true when it says, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed of the Lord begging for bread. It's true. God is always there, isn't he? This is a sad week for our friend, a Christian musician, Toby Mack, and the loss of his son, 21 years old, to come home and find him dead in the house. And my wife and I have talked about it several times. It is uh, something that I don't even know whether I could bear. But I guess you don't know that until you go through it, which some of us in the room have had to experience that God allows someone to be taken from us early. And it's so final. That's the craziest part of it is. Life is so fragile and death is so final. But in the middle of all of that, God is there. Jesus is still there, is he not? He's always been there, never moved, always waiting on us. Always. Be assured this morning. Well, we come to the end of our study in Philippians, which we've been doing over the summer, and we come to Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 23, which are actually the marks of maturity. So you should be able to tell whether you would be considered a mature Christian when I'm finished with my message this morning. Am I what people would consider somebody who is mature in the Lord? Zach, could you go find my water? I think it's up there somewhere. What? are the signs of somebody who's immature? And what are the signs of someone who actually is mature in the Lord? And follow with me on the screen, if you will. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last, at last, remember, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians from a Roman prison. He's writing a letter out of his circumstances in a Roman prison. He said, at last... You have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's letting him off the hook a little bit. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances are. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I could do everything through him who gives me strength. I've got to stop there for a second. This is probably one of the most potently powerful passages in the entire New Testament. This particular chapter is loaded with truths that we all use on a daily basis, like a tool to help us get through everything that we are facing. Some people in the room are facing marital issues. Some are facing financial issues. Some are facing a job loss or the loss of a loved one or just plain old kind of winter depression that takes you out as the days get dark. He says, I've learned how to be content in any situation. Can you say this morning with assurance that you are actually content, like happy today? Yes, some can, but there is even this morning, I can sense there's a heaviness that has followed some people in the room because you've almost given up on God. You've almost come to the point where you think God isn't going to answer my prayer or he's not going to answer it like I think he should answer it. And he goes on, he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in a matter of giving and receiving except you only. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, he's kind of like thanking them but throwing in these subtle rebukes along the way. 
he says, thank you, but I didn't sense people that really cared about me and what I was going through. And I guarantee you this, most of us this morning have come into the room and we care about the things that we care about or are concerned about, and we're talking with people, but it's like it's going right over our head and we're not even listening. We're hearing, but not listening. And there's a great difference between hearing someone talk and listening to what they're actually saying, isn't there? Everyone is looking today for a listener. Someone who actually gives a toot about what you're saying. Everybody in this room would love to have friends that are true friends that would actually listen. Go ahead, lay it on me. I'm with you, brother. Right? Lay it on me right now. I can handle it. Whatever is bothering you is bothering me. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Woo, there you go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually looking for something that God one day is going to reward you for because you stuck with me. You ever, ever have an opportunity to experience that? The real test of who your friends are is when everybody else is against you, they're still with you. Amen. When everybody else, come on now, come on, wake up, come out of what Satan wants you to do this morning, and that's to go into a state of hypnosis and sleep. It's sermon coma. It's a sermon coma, yeah. It's coming on right now. And we don't like to admit that we have all these hang-ups that are clouding I, I, I'm looking around the room and I can judge in my own mind where people are at today just by the expression on their faces. And I want to say this to everybody in here, God really cares about you. He re that's the truth. That's the absolute gospel truth. God cares about you. He's not interested in your sin. That's already paid for. That's under the blood. That's gone. That's as far as the east is from the west. He is interested in the relationship that he wants to have with you this morning. Heap it on, Lord. Rain it down, God. I, I, this book just came out last week. It's called Double Blessing by Mark Patterson. He's written numerous books. I've read them all. I've underlined everything in the books. I'm, I've started on this book, and we do have some copies available if you'd like to buy it. I strongly suggest if you want a blessing... You know, if you want to get a double blessing from God like Elisha prayed, you know what I'm saying? When Elijah died, he had this opportunity to say what he wanted, and he said, I want double what you have. Is anybody saying that this morning? I want, raise your hands. I want double what God has to offer me. I want to, oh, no, pastor, pastor, wait a second. I'm Christian Reformed, or I'm Reformed. Or I'm Baptist, and we don't raise our hands. Well, let's be Pentecostal for a minute, okay? Just about a minute. Just about a minute. Let's get crazy about God, because God is able to do exceeding abundantly what, above what we ask or think, isn't he? He wants us to cry out for a double blessing. Not, not just bless me, O oh Lord, like Jabez prayed. He wants us to cry out for a double blessing. And what's interesting is some of us do have the favor of God, but we don't have the anointing of God. We don't understand that the anointing of God is like fresh rain every single day. When you wake up, the Bible says his mercies are new for you today, and you needed them this morning, didn't you? You needed them this morning because the devil is whispering to you, no hope. You're just, it's, it's over. Your life is just going to be like this forever. You're never going to really be able to enjoy life. And God is saying, man, you need to get through that. This is the Apostle Paul talking from a prison in Rome and laying it out just like it is. Even though I'm in this dungeon, I'm going to praise Jesus. Yes. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches. Oh, my gosh, is that powerful? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. 
There are so many people in here that get excited about everything except God. Everything. I'm excited about God, aren't you? Okay, I look around and there's people. Sorry, Pastor. My lips don't do that. That's messed up. Is God real? Is he here? Has he changed your life? Has he put a new song in your heart? Has he made you shout once in a while? Come on. How about one right now? There you go. No, you can't tell me that Jesus isn't looking for people who are willing to leave all that garbage stuff behind and move on and experience the power of God. Because he'll supply all your needs. All you need to do is trust him. You have to say this. No one in this room is probably ever stressed about whether they were going to eat or not. And I can tell by looking at you. Seriously. Seriously. You need to put those sticky buns down. Some of you are like, shut up. You, you have an issue too. We all do, don't we? Yeah. This is a real deal here. None of us are ever hungry. If we are, we just instantly. And Paul is saying to them, he says in verse 21, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, there's a soap opera that goes like this. As sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Right? Uh, It's biblical. Do you know that? They base that on the Bible, I'm sure. Tip the big hourglass over. This is how much time you have left. I think about that quite often. Does anyone else think about that? Every time I hear about someone passing in their 60s, I think, oh, Jesus, get me ready. Aren't you blessed with health today? Woo! Isn't that awesome to wake up and actually have the ability to get out of bed and the energy to want to go to church and the belief that God is so powerful and real. He's so powerful. He's so real that he's in the room today and he's actually raining down on you. Wow. We can't stop the physical effects of the ticking clock that's inside of us. We try to protect ourselves against age. We exercise. We take vitamins. We do everything imaginary to keep wrinkles from our eyes. Our our energy fades. We can't win because we just can't fight it all. And Jesus affirmed this fact. He said, remember in Matthew chapter 6, who of you by worrying adds one inch to your height or subtracts One day from your age. I want to say this to somebody this morning because you need to hear this. Because you are very worried about something. It's it's driving you almost crazy. You're worried about it like, what are we going to do, God? How are our needs going to be met? Or what am I going to do, God? It seems like I'm on a path of destruction in my marriage. Or what am I going to do, God, because my kids don't seem to be headed the right direction? What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you right now, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust that God is real and he's near, isn't he? He's right here, yeah? He's right here in this room. In his book, Laugh Again, Chuck Swindoll tells an aging woman who wrote a friend, a humorous description of her own aging. Now, by the way, how many people in here even know who Chuck Swindoll is? Raise your hand. Yeah, you must listen to Christian radio because he was pastor of a big church out in Pasadena for years, president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And I have all of his books. And years ago, I actually used this illustration because he has the best illustrations. So this old lady is describing her old age, and she says this. There's silver in my hair, gold in my teeth, stones in my kidneys, lead in my feet, and gas in my stomach. Is there a hearty amen for that? Everyone who's getting older with the gas issues, you know. Mm -hmm. Don't say you don't have them. You know you do, and you have them right now, and you're holding tight. (laughs) You know, sometimes they just slip out, and you're like, and then I go, Josiah. (laughs) You you know how that goes? Like you're so embarrassed. 
I've shared that before, but I was in Target years ago, and oh my gosh, I just felt like a sudden attack. And so I ran down to the end of the aisle. Josiah was with me. I ran down to the end of the aisle and just let it loose, and a lady came around the corner. <laughs> Deadly. Deadly. Um, this same lady wrote this. She said, as soon as I wake up, she, she compares this to the five gentlemen that she meets every single day. Five gentlemen, this old lady said, she meets every day. Willpower helps me to get out of bed. Then I go to see John. And then Charlie Horse comes along. And when he is here, he takes a lot of my time and attention. And when he leaves, arthritis shows up and stays the rest of the day. He doesn't like to stay in one place very long, so he takes me from joint to joint. And after such a busy day, I'm really tired and glad to go to bed with Ben Gay. <laughs> All right, when I read this and I thought, I wonder if I should delete that from my message because times have changed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who would ever expect that gay would end up turning out to be that kind of a word? You say, okay, that's not politically correct. You cannot talk about all these things. Hey, God loves gay people. That's, that's a fact. Yes, he does. So moving right along so I don't get in any trouble there. I will not, I will not go off on a tangent on that and all the interesting things we see today. Maybe just one. How is it fair that men get to be women and run in races and play in sports, and that's considered fair. That's totally messed up. You agree? Okay, if you don't, you'll probably be getting up shortly and heading, heading out. So, this woman said, the preacher came to call me the other day. He said, at my age, I should be thinking about the hereafter. I told him, oh, I do that all the time. No matter where I am, in the upstairs, in the kitchen, or down in the basement, I ask myself, what am I here after? And you know this is true. I wish that this was not true, but some of you are already in that position, and you're only in your 30s and 40s. Wait till you're 60. You won't even know what house you're in. You'll be at the neighbor's for dinner. It is a, my wife, every, every single morning, because we both do our Bible thing at the counter when we get up at the kitchen counter, and I'm over here at the end of the counter, and she's over there, and we're kind of doing our own thing, and she's got the same routine. She has to get a pan out and fry an egg, and it's got to have all kinds of vegetables in it, and if, you know, and it's just, oh, my gosh, do you get in these trends, these things that I'm, and I said to her last night, honey, every time I sit here, you're crunching things. You know how you get on each other's nerves? You following me? Must you eat hard things while we're having our devotions? <laughs> if you're married, I want to say this. Marriage ain't easy, but it sure is good. It is good. It's awesome. So growing old is an unavoidable fact, but growing up is not. Hmm. Growing old is an unavoidable fact, but growing up is not. It has to be intentional. You have to want to grow up. Maturity is a matter of choice. It is actually a battle that we can win. And Paul said this in Ephesians 4. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Second Peter, therefore, putting aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And then Hebrews says this, solid food is good for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. You can't handle solid teaching if you're a baby. You'll always be offended. You'll always be mad. Everything will be filtered through your grid of offenses or place in life or negative spirit or not seeing the good in things. Is today good? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's so good because we can be here. Yes. 
Is anybody happy in the room besides me? Yeah. Come on, let it, let it float up to the throne of God. So he says, boy, do I love being there at Rock Church with those people. I read this about maturity this week. It's a developed and discerning competence as to how to live appropriately and to change. Change. People come to me all the time for counseling. And I always tell them the same thing. You need to change. But it's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. No, you need to change. It's not my fault. It's pastor's fault. No, you need to change. You need to change. It's a sign of maturity, the willingness to change. There are several indicators as to whether or not an individual is maturing. For example, I would say that we know maturity is present when balance replaces extremes or when good choices replace bad ones. All of a sudden in your life, you're realizing, I'm not so hot-tempered anymore. I'm not so quick to have to defend myself all the time. I'm not so quick to always have to respond to everything that is said to me. You know, I've shared many times when Jerry's Country Inn was in Hudsonville. You know where that was? Raise your hand. Anybody have their goulash there? Jody Fry had it. Wasn't it good? It was delicious. Don't you love goulash? With like those mac the elbow macaroni things. And oh. Okay, service is over. Let's go home. <laughs> Time to make some goulash. Chuck Swindoll gives several other characteristics of a maturing Christian. He says we are maturing. Here we go. When our concerns for others outweighs our concern for ourselves. When we detect the presence of evil or danger before it's even obvious. Number three, when we have wisdom and understanding as well as knowledge. Yes. Four, when our awareness of needs is matched by our compassion and involvement in those needs. Yes. When we have the willingness to change once we are convinced that correction is in order. When we have the ability to actually grow spiritually. And how do you know that you're growing spiritually? Keep that up there a moment. How do you know that? When you say less and think more and find yourself being much more gracious than angry all the time. Always angry. Always angry about everything. Every, everything is an offense, and, and nothing is good enough. He goes on to say this maturity is the ability to do a, a job whether you're supervised or not. To finish a job once it started. Oh, boy, that's, that's a tough one. Your wife says, go clean the garage, honey. And you get out there and realize there's a bike in there. And you're off on the bike. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get it. It'll be next week. Months pass. You're no longer able to park the cars in the garage. Months. I'm not kidding. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel right here. Things are growing out there. And they're not necessarily good-smelling things. You're wondering why everything that goes into the garage dies. You get it? Number three, you're able to carry money without... Oh, Jesus, take the wheel here. <laughs> Send it back there, Lord. You're, un you're, you're unable to carry money without spending it. Okay. <laughs> Because if I leave a dollar in my car and go to Africa just to test to see if that dollar will be there when I get back and someone else is using my car, Jesus knows. The likelihood of that happening is slim to zero minus 10,000. But she's wonderful. You know, you know our fallback thing is when we all, when we, the staff always used to do this. Somebody would be saying something about somebody who was really obnoxious, and, and then, and then we go, but she's sweet. 
That's the fallback all the time, isn't it? When you gossip about somebody, but, but she is sweet. And you've just ripped a good one. You're able to bear an injustice without wanting to get even. We could go on and on, but I think the best way to understand maturity is by example, by seeing maturity in the life of a mature person. Four words to remember this morning before we walk out of here. Affirmation, contentment, confidence, and sacrifice. So say them with me. Affirmation. I will give a candy bar to the guy tomorrow night who remembers those at Ben's Bible study. Yes, how many guys are going to do that? Okay. So I should possibly bring several candy bars. I think I'll be good with two. <laughs> so first of all, Paul shows his maturity with his practice of affirmation of others. I honestly believe that a, a mature person has gotten beyond themselves and is able to affirm other people. They've realized how much they're loved by God and they're actually not focused on their own needs above others. You are able to actually affirm someone else that says, in this chapter, in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, here's what I want to say. Stick this in here. you got to remember, because I checked it out this week, that when Paul is writing this from the Rome, Roman prison, he is possibly weeks away from his death. He knows his time is coming to an end. He wants to basically say to everyone, Thank you to the people who were there for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I don't have much longer left. They say in the scripture that he lived probably between 62 and 65 years, and then he was taken off the earth. God took him. But he is actually saying this. I might not ever get to see you guys again, but I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, for your affirmation of me. In verses 15 through 17, he says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. Not one church except the church at Philippi. Cared about Paul. Not one. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. They consistently did that. They consistently took care of Paul. Now the generosity of the Philippian church to Paul went way back to when he founded the church in Philippi, and there he went to Thessalonica to start a work there. And since Thessalonica was near Philippi, the Philippian Christians sent messengers to find out how Paul was doing. There are very few people who genuinely care about their friends. Who genuinely care. There are very, very few people who have something good to say to almost everyone. That have the gift of affirming someone rather than looking for what they can get out of them. I had an experience this week on my Facebook page. I had written something. And multiple people from our church defended me, and I would like to say thank you very much. Because you know what? I love Rock Church. I genuinely love Rock Church, and I love the people of Rock Church. And we are, we are family. Do you think so? Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly think we are family. If you're looking for a church that is family, this is it. It is not so big that you don't know. I, I look and I see the faces of all these friends sitting in front of me. Right here, you two. It blesses me having you sit there. I've told Ryan this many times, that whole row of fanatics right there, the second row, the, one, the, the raise, hand-raising fanatic row, bless me. Brianne cuts my wife's hair. She blesses me. You know what happens when we affirm other people? We actually save their life. Yes. 
We actually pull them from a pit, and you don't even know that they're right on the edge, dangling there. Pull them from a pit and tell them, no, God really cares about you because he does. That's not a lie. God is affirming you right now saying, I genuinely care about you. While he was on his third missionary journey, Paul was in prison in Rome, and many years had passed since he had founded the church in Philippi, but their mutual love was still strong. I've shared it many times. My father-in-law, Becky's dad, once told me, you will not have very many true friends in life. Consider yourself blessed if you have one. I have way more than one. Yes, and so do you, when you think about it. And I'd say this, if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. And so here in the letter, Paul affirms their continual thoughtfulness and sacrifice. And he told them their act was a, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. But I want you to note that Paul did much more than thank them for what they had done. He affirmed them for who they were. And that is a mark of maturity. Okay, I got to say, there is a difference between appreciation and affirmation. God showed me this this week in studying. There's a big difference between appreciation and affirmation. Appreciation says thank you for something. Affirmation not only says thank you, but it says, thank you for being you because you bless me. Can you think of someone who blesses you? Can you? You should tell them. Yeah, you should tell them. Appreciation, yes, people did something nice for you, so you feel like you have to tell them a thank you for doing this. But affirmation says we I love you for who you are. Because remember, we are not human doings. We are human beings. We're not just doing, we're being. And there's a big difference. You want to find out someone who, someone who is, listen to me, mature in Christ. It is about who they are underneath all the surface crap. Right? It's about who they really are who they really are, are they really going to be there for you? Underneath all that surface garbage, we have an inner need to be affirmed. A preacher from years ago shared a time in his life when he, he and his family went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on vacation. And one night, they went to a restaurant that looks out over the Smoky Mountains, and as they were dining, a distinguished-looking older man who seemed to be the proprietor moved from table to table and was talking to people. And all of a sudden, this preacher that was on vacation got thinking to himself, oh, my gosh, please don't come over here. You ever done that? Yes or no? You know these people? They're coming for you and going, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Get them out of here. He's on vacation. He's a pastor. He's a preacher. But this guy is moving around in the restaurant and talking to people, and he's saying, oh, I pray that he doesn't come over here. So he looked at his wife and commented, I sure hope he doesn't come over here. We're on vacation. Man comes over. Where are you all from? Preacher said, Oklahoma. Then the man asked, what do you do for a living? Trying to hide the fact that he was a preacher, the pastor said, I teach homiletics at a certain seminary. Oh, so you're a preacher, the old man replied. I have a preacher story to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and the pastor winced at the time that was taken. The old man said, I was born just a few miles from here across that mountain. My mother was not married. She had me. Okay, connect here. She had me out of wedlock. We were looked down upon in our entire community and everyone in the area. They had a name for me when I started school, and it wasn't nice. He said, I can remember going off by myself at recess and at lunchtime because the taunts of my peers cut so deep. 
What was even worse was to go to town with my mother on Saturday and feel those eyes literally piercing through me and realize they were asking, whose child is he? I wonder who his father is. When I was about 12, a new preacher came to this little church in our community, and people began to talk about his power and his eloquence. And I began to think to myself, I need something. I sure wish I had a dad. I sure wish people weren't always picking on me. Well, one Sunday, he said, I decided to go to that church. And I began to go by myself. I slipped in late and tried to get out early because I was afraid that people would say, What's a boy like that doing in a place like this? And one Sunday, the benediction got said quicker than I realized, and I found myself caught with a lot of people around me. Before I knew it, there, were, there stood the preacher, looking at me with those burning eyes of his, and he said, Who are you, son? And then he said, Whose boy are you? And I thought to myself, Oh, no, my heart was racing. Here we go. But then a smile of recognition brought broke across the preacher's face, and he said, wait a minute, I know who you are. You're a son of God. And with that, he patted me across the back and said, boy, you've got quite an inheritance. Go and claim it. The words of that one statement, said the old man, literally changed my life. By this time, the preacher was utterly enthralled and asked, Well, who are you? The old man replied, I'm Ben Hooper. Then the preacher said to himself, Ben Hooper? Oh, yeah. I remember how my grandpa used to tell me about him and the people of Tennessee and how they elected an illegitimate child born to a single mom, and his name was Ben Hooper, and he was elected to be the governor of Tennessee. Ooh, come on, come on, come on now. God is great at picking nothings to do something. Spirit of God, you move through this room because somebody in this room thinks that you've given up on them. Somebody in the room is convinced that somehow God has given up on them or they expected more than this or God's just not answering my prayer and God's saying to you this morning, you just hang on because I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Receive the healing power of God this second. Receive it. There you go. Perfect timing. She's got it. (laughs) Yes, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you call a hiccup from getting drunk in the Spirit. Right? Hey, look up a second. God really loves you. And can I just say this? I think the timing was appropriate. Because I think some people think bad thoughts about people. And I think some people in this church have maybe thought bad thoughts about her. And what I see about her is beauty. Yes. What I see about her is the grace of God. What I see about her is the child of God that God loves. Stop it. Quit trying to guess what's going on in people's lives. That was totally appropriate. It was. There are all kinds of hiccups with God, aren't there? Just about the time you think you're smooth, you're smooth sailing and you got everybody's attention, a hiccup flies. That's how God works, guys. You're, you're going through something right now. It's not, it's not just a couple people. It's a bunch of people that are going through something and you're questioning where God is. And I'm here to tell you, he is right here, right now. Right this second, he is right here, right now for you. You just got to receive him. You ever been affirmed by God in such a way that it just overwhelmed you? I felt that this week when people from this body choose to speak on, chose to speak on my behalf. Thank you. That was very kind. I do believe this, and it's not an excuse. I believe it wouldn't matter what any of us had done because God, through Jesus, 
put as far away that sin as the east is from the west. God is a loving God, and his mercies are new every single day. So we don't have to stumble around wondering if we're forgiven or not. You are forgiven if you are a child of God. Second thing is contentment. I guarantee you these two go faster because you're thinking, you mean he's still going on? Oh, my gosh. Look at verse 11. Paul says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I don't know very many content people. Discontentment leads to anger, and it leads inevitably it leads to all kinds of bad, bad things. You gotta learn to be content. You could say it something else. I, I gotta throw this in here. It's very important. Because some of us make excuses that it's this thing that's troubling us. It's this illness or this thing over here. And I know what it is right now. I can clearly say this. It's you are not content. You know why you're not content? Because there's never enough. If you got a million dollars, you still wouldn't be content. Because it really has nothing to do with money. It has to do with the condition of your heart. Are you following me? It has to do with this in here, the condition of your heart that says it's all yours, God. If you cheat God, because I know a lot of friends in this room that think that no one will ever find out if I cheat God. And, and, but God knows. Are you following? See, somebody's going to get annoyed by Vince saying that, so maybe no more yeses, Vince. We'll just, because people already have. I, I can't come there with somebody yelling yes. That couple right there, Vince and Marie, they're some of my favorite people on the planet. I might just poke you in the face. I might just poke you in the face. You talk against them, they're good people. Honey, are they good people? We said to ourselves yesterday when she was here baking a 1,000 cookies. Well, not kind of baking them. You, they're frozen, and you pull them off that thing, and you... <laughs> good deal. Yeah, there you go. Smells so good in here, but I went in the kitchen and I just said, we need people like you. You following me? God needs more people like them. They are so sweet and so kind and so generous. And thank you, Maria, for saying such a nice thing. And you use the word bullying in regards to people that still do this to me. Bullying. When are we going to get over the whole bully thing? Whatever happened to just being nice no matter what? We're, we're all disappointing, are we not? We don't need to act like big bullies. See, some people are thermometers in the way they register what is going on around them, and others are thermostats. They regulate the atmosphere. Wouldn't you rather be a thermostat than a thermometer? See, the thermometers walk in, and they're, they're taking a good temperature on what's happened in this little circle of people that are talking here, and other people walk in and say, Hey, how are you doing today? Let's stay focused, right? Let's, just, let's turn this into something good. Let's really turn this whole situation into something good. So one thing Paul would tell us is that contentment is an internal disposition. Statisticians tell us that Americans move on the average of every three years and divorce every seven years. Whew. I don't know how you could live through that. We're just unhappy. Our disposition in general is negative instead of positive. Is this an amazing day today? Yes, it is amazing that you get to be alive, that we get to live in this country. I, all these movie stars that promised they would leave if Trump was elected, we're going to take an offering at the end of the service. And give them a one-way ticket over to Africa. I guarantee you, they would have a whole different view of things, correct? Our disposition is something that's learned. In other words, we're not born contented, nor we gravitate instantly towards contentment. We're born to be discontented. That's the way it is. One last point here, confidence in God's power. You see, mature individuals are not just content, but they have confidence in God's power. No, that's not the last one, is it? There's four. Hang on, another, half, another 35, 40 minutes here. Because I'm talking about contentment. Could you sit there 35 or 40 minutes without 
complaining. Uh, uh, I have some people brainwashed. Is what they, that's what they tell me anyway. Now, I'm telling the straight-up truth. I'm sitting out there. I don't want to sit here too long. You got something to say, keep it short. But that's you, not me. <laughs> and Paul very clearly demonstrated the quality of confidence. In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Scripture says, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That's what he's going to do. Be confident of this one thing, that God is at work in you. You think so? God's at work in you right now, isn't he? Your mind will determine what your body is going to do in response to all the things that come at you. 1 Timothy says this, and thank Jesus Christ our Lord who strengthens me. 2 Timothy says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and be strengthened in his might. Yeah. He'll give you the strength. There's nothing that you're facing that he isn't going to be there for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Pour it on right now. Pour on the strength that we need. There's one last point. Sacrifice. Philippians gave even when they couldn't afford to give because they had discovered that giving sacrificially enriches the giver. It is not yours, it's God's. I'm doing you a great disfavor if I tell you that you, should, you can just give whatever you want. 50 cents is not a tithe. $50 is not a tithe. Yes, the Bible, tithing is biblical. That's a 10% of your total combined income before taxes are taken out, and you're doing yourself a great disfavor because proportionate to what's going on in your life is what you're giving to God. Would you agree? It's not yours. It's not mine. Is God the provider? Then why do we have such a problem believing that God will take care of our needs? Somebody in this room this morning is very concerned about their financial needs. It's legit. And you can't, for the life of you, figure out how you're going to make it. And I can make you a promise. Put God first, and you will more than make it. Yes? Now, this is not to dissuade you from tithing or giving to this church. This is to encourage you. When I was, I shared this last week, when I was in Africa, I shared the guys, we need to put lights on the outside of the building. Somebody's going to get mugged here. We desperately need them. We got a price of $8,700 to challenge the guys. The guys, Ray said, I'll pay it. I don't know where the money's going to come from, but I'll pay it. Go ahead and do it. And so we lined it up. They're putting lights on the outside of the building this week. And on the way home, he says, I don't mean to brag, but I want to tell you this. I, I donated that $8,700 not knowing where it was going to come from. And my wife called and said that I picked up a job which has three times the money that I gave. I came in to the church just to get something last week, and on my desk was a note from the Kuipers. I don't know if they just ran into an inheritance or what, but I thought it was a $10 check addressed to the church. It was a $10,000 check addressed to the church. Much further than that, I just thought, God, you're going to supply every need of this church and allow us to do things. I made a commitment to a friend in Vietnam that we would help with the last bills of building his house. And I'm not talking a luxury palace. I'm talking about a tiny house. We've helped some other people there. He said he needed $2,500. I said, plan on it, not knowing where it was going to come from. <clears throat> Another man in our church put a check on my desk for $5,600. This is all in a week. Another man in the church had something that he was going to sell and said he would be giving, willing to give it to pay that $2,500 needed for that man to add on his house. There are two lines of thinking in the room as we close here. Two, two lines of thinking. Well, then you don't need my money. That's not why you give. Are you following me? Yes. Please say yes. yes. It's not why you give. You give because you're told to give. You're told. 
You're taught. It's biblical. And when you don't, you rob yourself of the blessing of God not allowing you to be forsaken. He gives back in more ways than you can imagine. He heals people of cancer. He blesses people's marriages. He just moves right in when we are obedient to God. If you don't think that way, your thinking is skewed in the wrong direction. Totally. Sacrifice is important. Maxie Jarman of Nashville, Tennessee, died at the age of 76. I hope I don't die quite that young because I only have eight more years left, if that's the case. But he was an internationally known Christian businessman who took a company from 75 employees to 75,000 employees. His company, Genesco, in the late 1960, was the world's largest apparel company. And during his heyday, Maxie Jarman gave away millions. He built churches around the world, gave generously to all kinds of Christian causes. Then he experienced financial reverses. He lost his company and most of his personal fortune. During the darkest days of financial crunch, he was asked by a personal friend if he ever thought of the millions he had given away over the years. And Jarman answered, of course I have. But remember, I didn't lose a penny. I gave it away. I only lost what I kept. You following me? When a young couple with two other young couples went to the Amazon Indians many years ago to be missionaries, you know the story. The husbands were all killed by the Aka Indians, a spear through their body. There are pictures of it. But Jim Elliott said this in his 20s before he died. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Spirit, stay, stay, don't, don't bow your heads. Look at me. I'm saying this as a prayer to God. Spirit of the living God, you know us. You know us, God. Work in us. Speak to the people who are hurting and those that are questioning where God is and what is God up to because God is passionately in love with us. He cares about you. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, we remind every demonic force that you have no power but which we give you, and you are not the Lord. God is. There is no weapon formed against us but what God allows, and they will not prosper. So we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Our thoughts right now are on you, the king. Maybe with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you were in the room this morning and you don't even know if you died today that you would go to heaven. And you're thinking about it right now. Would I go to heaven when I die? Am I absolutely certain? And you want to be prayed for in that regard. Anyone in the room that says pray for me, I don't know if I die that I'd go to heaven for sure. Anyone in the room this morning? Anybody? Try to scan the whole room. And for the rest of us, it's time to grow up. Think like mature people. Bless us today, God, in Jesus' name, amen.